because we can't control our attention, right? Some of it's voluntary, some of it's involuntary, like a surprise, but taking our attention and focusing on what is not God and our awareness away from the fact of his presence, Hmm. ongoing presence and attention is what really gets us away from that attention to the things of the world, especially the social media has, has done completely. And you can see the pain and suffering that it's causing. You can't serve both masters. You can't have an awareness of the almighty at the same time that you're getting concerned about some earthly and worldly things, right? It's not that we don't care, but there's something above it and there's hope and there's gratitude and awareness of being and gratitude that we were created and then the desire to worship. Hey, this is Matt Hook, the shepherd of The Shepherd and the Shrink. And I wanted to thank you for listening. And I would love if you want to continue to be able to hear good content like this to go on patreon.com, the shepherd and the shrink. And that's us. We would love your support, whether it's $5 a month or $20 a month. It's really valuable and can help us out. Thanks. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage strength, and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology. Or mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. It's good to record in the morning, and it's good to record. November is my favorite month. For many reasons, things calm down. I love Thanksgiving. It's before the holidays, but there's like the tinge of it in the air. Mm-hmm. And today's Veterans Day too. Thanks to all our veterans and those who have served. Yeah, thank you. Tell me this: What um, are you looking forward to, or like? Because I'm feeling the same thing. Like I'm ready for the holidays. Yeah, and it ain't Santa Claus. What is it for you? <laughs> for me, it's Thanksgiving. It is. It's all the anticipation of the holidays. I do enjoy traditions. The music is fun. The idea of family and lots of food and the dark nights, but there's light to be had in the midst of the darkness, you know, and going back to the star that, you know, hung over Bethlehem. And I mean, even all that stuff. And I'm not opposed to Santa Claus and the fun of that kind of a thing either. Yeah. I mean, I'm not opposed to it. I'm just too old for it. But I, th- I think what I like is that mood that we have been going through of the distrust of one another and all of the division. There's the promise or hope that there'll be a different way. People just do seem to be nicer. At least I think so. Um, you know what I mean? Higher values like uh, connection, mm-hmm. community, family, over. He's not earth, will to men. Yeah. Yeah, I love all of that. And I love the idea of Thanksgiving, you know, the original, the original idea of God getting us through this harshness. And Thanksgiving hasn't been completely usurped commercially, which is one yeah. of the things I love about it. And I don't have to preach on Thanksgiving. I don't have to work on Thanksgiving. That's the other reason I really like yeah, some rest. That's, a, that's yeah. very important, especially to the topic that we have today, right? That you came up with this and I like it. Oh, yeah, we are in part five of our six-part series on identity crisis. And the idea of what is causing the crisis has been all that has led up to us thinking of ourselves as consumers, 
us thinking of ourselves and our basic identity as spectators, us thinking of ourselves and our basic identity as self-focused individuals, us thinking of ourselves as being able to think beyond right and wrong. And today, us thinking of ourselves beyond God. Now, that's intriguing because how can you get beyond God in your own mind? You know, I'm interested in that dynamic. It's easy. Uh-huh. I've heard people say, is it just me or does God's strength seem to be slowly ebbing through the centuries? A few years ago, a woman in our church brought in a Christmas card that she had gotten from a family in the community. And it wasn't exactly a Christmas card. It was a beautiful graphic with their children and their family in the front. And inside, all it said was the words of the song, Imagine, and the family's names. And what a powerful testimony to their views of God or their views of not God. You know, John Lennon's song really is an anthem to those who think beyond God. I think that we have to check our attitude because it's almost like people see God not just as antiquated, but as immoral and belief in God. Antiquated and more. We are beyond that kind of thinking now. Yeah. Like we're by beyond, you mean we're past that. Yeah. Part of it. Like, you know, we're past that. Right. We're on the right side of history and Mm -hmm. you can, you can go back for centuries. You can go back to Descartes, who was a Christian mathematician and a philosopher in the early 1600s. He set out to make a list of what people could know with absolute certainty. And he took a view of radical skepticism in order to do that. And the Latin was, Cogito ergo sum, which means I think, therefore I am, and everything else is suspect. He raised issues about basically everything, including the Bible, add to that scientific revolution, and now virtually all early scientists were deeply involved, deeply devoted Christians. But eventually the Bible was viewed with reservation. The world was demystified with purely natural explanations for everything, and God seemed to be irrelevant. And then enters secularism, which believes a materialistic view of the universe. And then along comes Darwin. Boom, he kicks God and the Bible out the door. Although I don't know that he exactly meant to do that. He had just had a good trip to the Galapagos Islands. Yeah, he didn't mean that, by the way. Evolution isn't a creation theory. He never claimed that. It's, a re- it's about reproductive success. Wow. So, uh, the monk Gregor Mendel knew about genetics. It's a bridge too far to think that he was claiming, oh, you know, that's a first cause of evolution. It's, he'd never thought that. Right, right. But all of his books on the species and everything, I think everybody thinks they know what it says. Nobody reads that book. Nobody read that book. It's probably second to the Bible. <laughs> we read about it. Yes. Yeah. And we, we yeah. got little snippets here and there and threw everything out. Huh. And the whole idea that all life had come without any guidance from God. Darwin did not exactly say that. It's what you're saying, it sounds like. No, he didn't say that. Wow. That's a misunderstanding of his work. Right. And, and it seems you know, in a lot of people's mind to disprove the Genesis account of creation with the notion of evolution. And we have gone, like you said, a bridge too far in that. And what's interesting is the evolutionary model is still pretty shaky for macro evolution, like one species 
turning into another. And just because we have a fossil of a bird with some teeth on it, we make all kinds of leaps. You're right about that. People need to know that. There are even recently in the last 10 years, there have been some wonderful scientific critiques of evolution. Mm-hmm. And people should look into that if they're interested. It's not established fact at all. Yeah. And there's microevolution. I mean, you know, people get taller, people get shorter, people, you know, change. But it's the the massive leaps that we just assume has almost become a religion for some people mm-hmm. who I think because they're thinking in this identity that may or may not be causing them crisis or may or not be improving the world is beyond God. Do you have a name for that sort of school of thought or that religion? You know, I think there's several and some are more vernacular. I think you could say secular humanism. Mm-hmm. I think you could say uh, naturalism. I think you could say in terms of Western culture, the duns, where they're just done with church, they're done with God or the nuns. The nuns? Not like a, with habits? Catholic nuns, you dope. Yeah, yeah. The the nuns they they identify as nuns. Oh, N O N E S. Okay, non-religious is another way that people have said Mm -hmm. that. And there was a recent study that came out this summer or last spring, saying that the majority of Christians do not identify with a specific religion, Christianity or otherwise. Wait, wait. Say that again. I I let that sink in. The majority of Americans do not self-identify in a survey that went out, maybe it was with the census, with any one particular religion. And part of that goes to the consumer mindset. I want a little bit of this. I want a little Buddhism, mm-hmm. I want a little Jesus. I want a little bit of love your enemy. I want, I want, you know, we pick and choose. One size does not fit all. So I just take a little bit of here. I mix and match. Gotcha. And that just leaves us really confused. And and part of it is that that we create our own idea of what a religion is because we're self-absorbed individuals. Yeah. But that's not working for people. There's more health professionals than ever before and yet some people would say we're sicker than ever before. At least in Certainly the United- that's true in my profession. I mean, um depression and anxiety keep going up along with treatment. Yeah. It's not causing it. I don't want to mislead anyone. So we're not causing the depression to go, but I'm saying there's something else going on. And what you and I think is that you have to address the spiritual nature of the suffering. And there's an identity crisis that could in part yes. come from the suffering that people have today when they've got all their needs met or most of their, what we think of as their basic needs met. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, I think that people don't look to God and I made a list of a couple of reasons why because God is simply not a part of our daily world. God is not mentioned in a lot of people's day all day long. God is not included. God is not consulted, whether it's in business, whether it's in leisure, whether it's in how I spend my time. God is out of place and he's out of line with today's secular society is what people would say. So because God doesn't fit in our world of reality, we lead to some conclusions. If we even are willing to identify that there could be this concept of God. Number one, God is distant. There's actually a name for that. It's called deism, like a deity. Deism means some people might think God exists, but it's just like he wound up the clock and let it run down. He wound up the universe and he's letting it run down into entropy. 
that God's not involved in the world in any meaningful way. And today, these folks are some of those who believe maybe in the higher power or what some people might say, nominal Christians. God is watching us from a distance, you know, like that old Bette Midler song could be their anthem. So God is distant, some people would say, as a result of the reality of life today. Another reality might be for some people, God is absent. In other words, what you see is what you get. These folks would say, I have no need for a hypothesis of God. The Bible is purely human. The 66 ancient documents that we call the Bible. Today, these people are often well-educated folks, a lot of times with a scientific bent. And the spiritual realm, for some of them, is baloney because there's no measurable evidence of it. And, you know, whether you want to just talk about the material world or the the idea of imagine. And then let me list a third one. So God is distant. God is absent. God is compartmentalized. For some people, they're thinking beyond God in this way. There's two worlds in their approach. There's the public and there's the private. The public realm is made up of hard facts, math, science, politics, economics, governed by facts on which we could all agree or not these days. God has no place in the public realm. This is sort of the separation of church and state idea. And then there's the private realm, which it's governed by our beliefs. It's governed by our values. And this is where God is active for some people and involved. Nothing's known for sure. They're only just opinions. But people with this identity would think that God matters a lot but he only holds sway on the inside of us. And culture seems to say it's perfectly fine to believe that stuff. We have freedom of conscience. People can believe what they like, but you really ought to keep it to yourself. And the Bible might be a handbook for personal well-being with filled with little devotional thoughts. But as a result of this, and then I want to hear your opinion, God is whittled down in our minds, in our identity. God is whittled down to the little man behind the curtain, you know, from the Wizard of Oz. He's uninvolved in my life. He's uninvolved in the world. He's more of a concept than a person or just the opposite. God is not God over the world, but he's my God, my truth, and my smaller interior world. Or God's just gone, but we didn't need him anyway, we found out. So God's whittled down. Number two, people replace God. We put ourselves in God's place as an object of worship, you know, the self-focus, self-actualization. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Number three, these things mean that the Bible is thrown overboard. It's simply written off as a source of truth and wisdom. At best, it's seen as irrelevant. At worst, it's just seen as plain wrong or immoral. Number four, people of faith are not taken seriously. A result of living in a world that's written off God is that it also writes off people who take God seriously. Sometimes that's because people who take God seriously don't have very good approaches. Yeah. Or, can be or they don't take people seriously. You know, there's some legit mm-hmm. reaction to that. And then maybe number five would be this. Religion is just another hobby, like building model airplanes. Something that's quiet, it's private, it's trivial. It's not really a fit activity for intelligent public-minded adult. It's what we do on Sundays. It's what you do on Sundays. It's a good civic social thing Mm. maybe to do and get a little inspiration. Psychologically, does this make sense in what you see or have read? It does psychologically and spiritually. So that's a great question. So this is the sin of our culture. 
And this is a sin I struggle with. And this is one that I actually kind of let you down without knowing it because you were expressing this sin and I'll name it in a second. And I was like, well, you know, maybe not, maybe not, maybe not. But you were like, it was on your radar in your own life, right? And this is a sin called acidia, A-C-E-D-I-A. And I just learned about it. And when I got a name for it, I was like, oh, now I can research it, right? Because I have a name. It's spiritual apathy, right? Or sometimes called despondency, right? It does include boredom, right? And it does include um, the lack of gratitude, conforming to the earth's pattern, but it also can show up as being a busybody, right? So, uh, you know, doom scrolling on your Facebook and then just coming out and complaining and doing all of that, it takes us away from God. It really has to do with attention. That's the psychological feature of it. So I've danced around it a lot, but because I didn't really have a name for it, but there's plenty written about it because it's very subtle. So it's very, very dangerous. And what it does is it takes us away from God and God's presence in our life, his, his omnipresence. We sort of mock people who follow, you know, the words in Philippians that says, whatever is true, whatever is just, whatever is honorable, whatever is noble, focus on those things. And we sort of mock people that do that. Like, yeah, right. We're incredulous. Okay, you're talking about the people who would respond to people who are struggling against like, and maybe like have if my attention should be on good things. If my attention should be on hopeful things and God things and making a difference as a result of focusing on good and hopeful things. Is that what this acidia is? Acidia is a spiritual numbness. Okay, that's what it is. You know, you're you're talking about the, the important behavioral you know, aspects of it, but spiritually and psychologically is when we take our attention because we can control our attention, right? Some of it's voluntary, some of it's involuntary, like a surprise, but taking our attention and focusing on what is not God and our awareness away from the fact of his presence, hmm. ongoing presence and attention is what really gets us away from that attention to the things of the world, especially the social media has, has done completely. And you can see the pain and suffering that it's causing. You can't serve both masters. You can't have an awareness of the almighty at the same time that you're getting concerned about some earthly and worldly things, right? Right. Yeah, because, you know, Matt, we, we've both had instances of just knowing God's presence and the peace that it brings and, and that the world is the world. It's not that we don't care, but there's something above it and there's hope and there's gratitude and awareness of being and gratitude that we were created and then the desire to worship. Right. In that moment. Acidia is the opposite of those things. Wow. So for somebody who is experiencing that or just this apathy, you're like, I don't care. I'm, I'm interested in psychology, but not so sure about all the rest of it. The idea of thinking beyond God, that I am beyond God, our society's beyond God, mm -hmm. really begs the question, what do you say about yourself and what would you say to society that views itself as beyond god how do you how do you respond to remedy that you mean yeah is that caused some of our identity crisis oh my gosh it's at the center of it i, I really think it's right at the heart of it that was a pretty enthusiastic response say more yeah there's no doubt in my, my mind about that 
we have a meaning crisis. People don't know who they are anymore, what they are. So they're seeking and seeking. And, and, and those things that are not God never satisfy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's relativism, right? Just do your thing. You know what I mean? How's it working for you? Yeah, it doesn't work very well at all because we can see it. We're spiritually sick right now and it's showing up in my clinic. When I do my thing, I tend to move myself into the center of my universe. I tend Mm -hmm. to move my whims and my feelings to the center of my attention. I tend to move my cravings and my desires to the center of my being. And I suffer. I stay up late. I lose sleep. I drop the important relationships in my life. I end up miserable, personally. Me too. Look, that's what it is. And we've talked a lot on this show about the self-conscious emotions, because those are the ones that really cause the the most pain for the individual and for the people around them. Mm -hmm. It feels so much better to know with certainty and feel that we are connected to something great that loves us, that gave us life, and that we mean something. So if, if the creator of creation created us and we can really know that not just intellectually but i mean feel it like you just know in the same way that you know you know you have a body but it's part of your identity and it's not just a think thing because it won't work that well that's just the beginning of it you know but you still have to pursue to become and that's why spiritual transformation is the goal of christianity and we can't get that lost it's not just to get your butt out of uh, hades that's a consequence of it, but that's not the mission. The mission is to become Christ-like so you can live in this world in a way that where you'll have that peace and, you know, and that low level of joy Wow! and we can endure suffering. People who weren't a part of our earlier podcast that didn't hear you talk about the self-conscious emotions, can you name some of them? Sure. The big ones are pride, guilt, and shame and anxiety. And by self-conscious, I mean that our focus, instead of going out to where it makes us happy, because you know how it feels to be kind and generous and um, have reverence Mm. in life, that the world isn't just full of problems, although it does have its problems, that creation is good and we are made good and we can be better. That peace that you get now, look, it's not, I'm not being moralistic about this. I really don't. This is a trap that's set for us and we all fall into it, but Think about anxiety. I'm not anxious if I'm focusing my attention outside. So when people public speak, you know, we, we, we tell them, do not get self-conscious or you'll start censoring yourself and you'll stumble on your words and then you'll start getting nervous and all the adrenaline gets going. You know, what you want to do is focus on a person, you know, and then keep shifting your attention and talk to a person, you know, like these conversations right now. I don't know where this stuff is coming from, right? We just talk and it comes. Now, if I get self-conscious about it and um, go, oh my God, that was a, why did you say that? That's so stupid. You know, immediately anxiety goes up. Shame is another one where we look at ourselves in a diminished sense that we're bad for some reason, not as good as other people. That's what causes us to compare ourselves to other people. Okay. Pride is the big one because pride's subtle because we think pride is going to give us confidence. Uh, No, it doesn't actually. It usually flows from being not confident. And so you just sort of become arrogant. And, right. um, how dare you? Because uh, nobody else is. Yeah. How dare you disagree with me? That's a dumb idea. No, I, you know, that's pride coming in. No, pride doesn't feel good because it's a self-conscious. There's that, that form of pride isn't, isn't good. You know, guilt, ruminating. Rumination is a big part of acidia. Mm-hmm. right? It takes us away from the presence of God and goes into our delving into our past 
wanting to punish ourselves or feeling like we're going to get punished or need to be punished. You know, those are all the self-conscious emotions. They do not feel good. And when we lose the idea or take our eye off the fact that there is God, that there is his universe, that there is a place for me in his universe, however I feel about myself, there's a place in the universe for me and for you and for that person that's driving you crazy that you have to learn how to deal with. And so mm-hmm. they don't drive you crazy, but not only Matt, is there a place, but there's a path, but we have to follow. If I'm at a trailhead, I can just walk past that trailhead and stay on the road I'm on, or I can follow that path. Right. And in order to follow that path, I have to know something about that path. That's when we get into studying scriptures. We go into church. We have a, a pastor, you know, and, and the people who are smarter than we are or no more fellowship doing life together. Yes. Um, prayer too. So I added, um, evening prayers a little while back and I'm amazed at how integrated just that small change, because here's what happens. I go to sleep in the word and I wake up in the word and my brain is causing it to sort of generalize more. It feels like I'm kind of always, although I'm not, you know, always in it. It just feels like that when you start your day and end it. And, and then, you know, it takes me what, 20, 25 minutes or something. And I, you'll learn to love it, but you need to push past when you don't feel like it, because if you don't feel like praying, because my sleep has been jacked because of this time change. So I got good sleep last night, but for last, and I was like, you know what? I don't feel like praying really. I'm tired. And also I did this. I've been doing this today. So that's enough. And I go, wait, nope, here's my opportunity. That's the sin of acid. And I did it. And it, it was great. Wow. Do you do it when you're in bed under the covers, like before bed, literally turning off your light? Or do you do it in your living room, sitting in a chair? Okay. So for me, I don't do it in either. I have a place where I pray. And if you haven't done this, I would recommend if you, if possible that everyone do this. So we're conditioned, we're human beings. So we get conditioned. It's nice if you can have a place that sets you ready for that form of response. So you want to feel close to God. So, you know, I like candles, I have incense, I have some icons and I have a cross and all that stuff in our loft. And that's where I pray. But I also pray in bed. I also pray in the car. I pray, I'm trying to pray ceaselessly. And by praying ceaselessly, I mean, for me, it'll be an awareness of the presence of God all the time. But I also do things like I have a prayer rope that I'm wearing today because that reminds me to pray. It's a reminder because the world is giving us all sorts of distractions to take us away from that, to, to, to drag us down from our awareness of the kingdom of God into, nope, it's the world. Okay. Wearing a cross that helps because it's a reminder. Mm-hmm. Kiss your cross. You know, that shows reverence and it's, you know, a, a, an expression of love. And then you will train yourself, but we have to train ourselves. You get good at what you practice. If you're practicing getting caught up in the world and it, it's problems, I'm not saying don't pay attention to it because you'll be better in the world if you have this awareness and way of being. You will. You won't be obnoxious. You won't turn people off. You'll have sympathy and love for disadvantaged people rather than anger about the disadvantaged. You know, you'll be able to tolerate your enemies, perceived enemies enough to talk to them. Now you got a chance at having some influence. Yeah, I see. Right. I love it. You know, some of the things that you said sound strange to some of us who didn't grow up maybe with a more Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox tradition, but you use the word icons. And a lot of us yeah. grew up thinking icons were idols. Yeah. And it's not, it's, it's a physical no, no one ever reminder. Said. An icon is a physical reminder that points to a bigger truth and you don't worship. You just, it's around to remind you to pray. It's around 
give you a chance to focus. And thank you for saying that. Think of it as having pictures of your children. I'm not worshiping my child if I'm looking and, and getting that feeling of knowing that they exist and that I'm connected to them. That's all it is. Good. I like Methodism a lot because it still keeps, preserves a lot of those things. But we're human beings and we get conditioned. So any tool that we have that will help remind us that there's something above us that we belong to. So the, the thing above us that loves us, how can that be bad? Right. You know, right. I wanted to share a couple of scriptures for people who may have thought of themselves on the other side of history or on the right side of history, think of themselves beyond God or have a hard time hanging on to God in the middle. And it's, this is from the Bible. It's from Isaiah chapter 40, one of the powerful chapters of the whole Bible, the beginning of it says, comfort ye, comfort my people. And uh, the ending of it talks about, do you not know, have you not heard? Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. But in the midst of Isaiah chapter 40, there's a couple times where he says, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded, God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and the people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy. He spreads them out like a tent to live on. To whom will you compare me? He goes on to say, or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Yeah, who doesn't want to belong to that? Yeah, yeah. You know? You'll know your place. Yeah. I think God would say, relax. I don't need you defending me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I got this. So instead, what if we simply claim God's faithfulness? The simple fact is God is. That has more to do with my identity than anything else. God is. God is real. God has a claim on the world. God has a claim on each of us. And we simply announce this presence of the one presumed to be dead and gone. The world is acting as though God is dead and gone. You don't have to disprove anything or prove anything. You just simply announce the presence of God who's presumed to be dead and gone. And you speak his words of peace and love and faith and truth and hope, even joy by our actions and our words and by our ability to listen to people. That's a huge part of what you do as a psychologist, isn't it? Oh, sure. I mean, um, to, to really hear someone. Um, I, look, attention is at the center of this, too, because that has a lot to do with attention. You know, one thing that you do in therapy is you, 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 you really focus. and feel. So in your prayers, because we've all had prayers that we just kind of weren't feeling it, that's an attention thing, right? Like, like it's important when you read that, like what you read, my attitude that is, I'm going to drink that in. 
I'm going to soak it in. I'm going to vivify each of those words and know how important these things are so I can feel it. And sometimes you miss the mark and, um, but you get better at it. Yeah. I love that. So you're like, well, how do I proclaim the one that everybody thinks is dead and gone is living and active. Okay. So first of all, don't, believe anything until you check it out because the world tells us that that's the media for instance and um and uh, universities a lot of them will tell us that that's the case do the research every culture including ours right now feels it intuitively that there is something that we call God and they can call it whatever they want. And on that day, you know, but there's something above. And if you look at, go to Wikipedia right now, if you don't believe me, there aren't that many atheists statistically. Mm -hmm. People have to worship something. Right. And there's an awareness of that. Yeah. I think people think there's something so wrong with the world and they're feeling it's not just a material problem. I think you're right. Say more though. I mean, cause I, I think you're dead on. I think a hundred years ago, people thought if we could only feed more and more and more people if we could only educate more and more people we would solve all the world's problems you know if our technology were better but the fact is you know what we've done with all of that technology is simply build bigger bombs we simply find ways to hack more people they simply find ways to manipulate or control and so to me there's an inherent flaw in us that we cannot out educate ourselves from and what story do we think of when we see that pattern? Because this is old. This is a spiritual problem. So it existed before. What in the Bible? You know what I'm talking about? The Tower of, of Babel. Yes, that's what was happening there. So we were warned about this stuff. Look, wisdom isn't information. Wisdom is above information. Okay. The scriptures are patterns of reality. So we can know them so we can understand this confusing, chaotic world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When it comes to our identity, so many of us left God in the dust, so we thought, and we've tried to form this identity beyond God. Mm -hmm. Leaning on our own wisdom? Yeah, yeah, like, I'm just going to operate as though God does not exist because that's so old school and his power has waned over the century, or whatever. If we even are willing to name, that's where we are. So here's a couple things I thought about and could be worth jotting down. What we proclaim to the people who maybe have not heard and do not know the Lord is the everlasting God. Number one, we proclaim God's existence. God is not a figment of our superstitious imaginations. God is real. Genesis chapter one, verse one, in the beginning, God, not in the beginning, people or man or humanity. In the beginning, God, Genesis one, we proclaim God's existence. Secondly, we proclaim God's glory. God animates this world. He fills it with his wonder, with his glory, with his grandeur. Isaiah 6 says the whole earth is full of his glory. He has not left himself without testimony. Acts 14, verse 17, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse, Romans 1, 19 and 20. So we proclaim God's existence and God's glory. Number three, we proclaim God's sovereignty. God is the sovereign Lord of all, whether we acknowledge him or not. It's like gravity doesn't exist 
only if I believe in gravity. God's sovereignty, God is the sovereign Lord of all, whether we acknowledge him or not. God has not been nudged aside from the center of the universe, only from the hearts of men and women. When we deny God, we place ourselves in opposition to the one who makes and sustains and orders the fortunes of all that is. And Psalm number two says this, why do the nations conspire? Why do the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand. Rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let's break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. Those are like the shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them with his wrath, which is the absence of God. So God's existence, we talk about God's glory. We talk, we simply name these things. You don't have to prove them to people. God's sovereignty. Number four, God's claim on us. We would say we, as Christ followers, we are not our own. We were bought with a price. We are his. Psalm 100 says, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We don't exist so that we could know God for our own pleasure. We exist for God's pleasure. He tells me I am his own. Ooh, say that again. That's key, I think. We don't exist so that we could know God for our own pleasure. We exist for God's pleasure. He tells me I am his own. Meditate on that until you understand it. I belong to somebody. I belong to God. That's his, his claim on us. Number five, we proclaim God's love. That God created us for a good purpose. And the purpose is showering his love on us. It's not some conditional love that some of us grew up with or were damaged by. I'll love you if you do this. I don't love you anymore if you do that. God's love is a love like no other. A loving God runs counter to the convictions of a secular world. The God that we threw overboard by the world around us is genuinely, we think either some old curmudgeon who's too distracted to notice us, or he's a dictator too aloof to care about us. Yet it's God's love that springs off of nearly every page in the Bible as one of his central defining qualities. Man, I wish more people knew that, man. What you're saying right now is, is, is gold, I think. It's so key because everything will spring from that, you know? Oh, yeah. But we, we feel like God is fragile and we've got to hide him in our hearts or protect him or. Or he's wrathful. Yeah. You know, he knows me and that's bad because he'll hate me now. That feeling, you know, I don't think the most people think that, but there's this feeling that I'm going to be rejected by him. And Right. Or we feel I don't understand God enough or I, I can't make a difference or, you know, I don't understand enough. So we immediately go to the negative on stuff we don't understand. We get suspicious and instead of curious, you know, we get closed and opened. Yeah. And Christ is God. So that's how we can get from the abstract, like how you and I are talking to the concrete. Yeah. He is the visual. He is the reality of the invisible, immortal God. Yes. He, he showed us the way. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's so countercultural. <laughs> I know, but look at our culture. Lord have mercy. Yeah. That's in the Bible. You can literally Google it. Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark, Luke, or John. 
but God's love, I think, is what we proclaim. And sometimes we don't do a good job of it. Here's another one. Number six, God's holiness. That's his purity. Our rejection of God's rightful place in people's lives is an affront, is an offense to God's holiness. It's nothing but an act of rebellion that tries to make itself look good. Denying God's rightful place is sin. And sin is simply us getting what we deserve. Psalm 103 says this, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things. God's holiness. Number seven, we proclaim our spiritual nature. And you, you and I have been doing this since we started. We are spiritual beings. We are psychological beings. We are physical beings. We are, are intellectual beings, but we are spiritual beings. But we're also spiritually impoverished, and we're spiritually backwards sometimes because we want for this right relationship with God, and we don't have it. So we got to make all this other stuff up. And the cool thing is God has made, God is so good. God has made a provision for the nourishment of our souls by the forgiveness of our sins and by reconciling, by making things right between us and himself through Christ. Say, say more about that because that's the, that, that's our mission that can drive us past SED. I think say that again. That's God has made provision for our nourishment and forgiveness of our sins and reconciliation with himself through Christ. That's it. Reconciliation. That is his wish for us. And that's our mission to bring the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven into the earth through our actions and our choices, our ways of being, our values, our priorities. Right. Yes. But our identity is so far removed we miss it. We miss every opportunity that God gives us to bring that reality and to live it out here and now, even though it's not yet fully the way God wants it to be. Ephesians chapter two starts out this way, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. Let me say that again. Because of God's great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. And that describes so much of my life. There's dead parts of my life, and there's this aliveness in my life. And God has come for the dead parts, and, and he reconciled us with himself. And, and so when we find stuff, I just keep handing it over, and new stuff that I find hand over to God. Another thing I think that we can proclaim is, is the authority of the Bible. The Bible can be trusted as God's reliable and adequate word for us, our final authority on spiritual issues. It's written by humans. Its authorship is also fully divine. The, the Holy Spirit guided these people. Jesus saw the Bible as indispensable. That ought to be good enough for some of us the very words from his father, and he based his ministry on it. He answered his critics with it, and it helped his hearers. Jesus helped his hearers to trust the scripture. Interesting, Jesus said 
to a bunch of his followers, you're in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Matthew 22. I, you know, I've read Matthew so many times and I never got that. Mm -hmm. You're in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. And so we want to be people who can look with confidence at the Bible as our authority on matters of faith and matters of life. I'm almost done with my list. Number nine, the plausibility of miracles when it comes to uh, what do we proclaim to a group, to people who think of themselves as beyond God. And I would offer up the plausibility of miracles. Miracles in the Bible are not scientific impossibilities. Natural laws like gravity are merely consistent ways that God relates to his universe. His habit of sustaining all that exists is, is the science that we're able to study because God is that consistent. Every atom is held together at every moment. You could say not by nuclear forces of attraction, but by the one who wrote the laws of nuclear forces of attraction, by God's hand. God's hand holds every atom together. The fact that our earth rotates exactly the way it does, exactly the distance it does, traveling through outer space, exactly the speed it travels, enables life. Matt, um, I haven't thought this through, so I'm just going to spitball this, but are miracles mainly mysteries? Like, okay, this doesn't follow the law and order that I observe and talk. It's, it lies outside of it. So if you disbelieve in miracles, there are no mysteries. Everything's <laughs> soft. And, and that's, that seems ludicrous to put it that way. Of course, we don't know everything. It is. Well, look at this. Okay, why do geese fly south in the winter and other birds and insects and the monarch butterflies? We say it's by what? Instinct. Uh-huh. What's that? What is instinct other than... Well, we don't know, but they do it. So it must be they, they're instinctively have it yes. in them to do it. Yeah, and here's the philosophic error. We think that if we just observe and, and describe a mechanism, that we've explained it. And you haven't. You've just, you've just described something. The mechanism isn't the cause. That's good. Yeah, so you don't have to get freaked out about miracles. There's a lot of ways to approach that with people for, who think of themselves as beyond God. And then just one last one, and that's a pretty common one, science and the Bible. Science has not disproved the Bible. As a matter of fact, archaeology continues to support the things that we read about, the prehistorical things that we read about in the Bible. It has not eliminated the place of God in the creation. We still don't know who lit the fuse to the Big Bang, why that happened if you want to put it that way. As believers, we celebrate science. We celebrate science for the miracle that it is and how much more we understand how it makes things work. It's a whole new way that God shows himself in his creation is science. Yeah, Terrence McKenna was a guy um, who said something like this. He said, those scientism people, people that that's the, the ultimate for them, that's their God, that's their religion, he says, they want you to grant them that first big miracle, then they'll explain everything else, right? That miracle of creation. Ooh. Just grant me that first big miracle, and then I'll take it from there. Yeah. Yeah. It's not an either or. Here's two things maybe to wrap us up. So those are 10 things that I would say to people whose identity that may or may not be causing them crisis has placed them in a place beyond God in their thinking. And one of them is from scripture and one's a thought. God's words speak as powerfully to today's version of secularism 
as God's word spoke to Job, who is a man in the Bible. A lot of scholars think it was the oldest first book written, written down at least. And here's what God says to Job. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. Surely you know. There's a little sarcasm going on here. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? The humbling, isn't it? Yeah. Like you said, grant me the first miracle and then I can explain everything else. Yes. God didn't wind up a clock and let it run down. That's deism. God holds the universe moment by moment by moment. And you and I are a tiny part of it. But this huge, powerful creator, God, also loved us so much. He came to earth and lived a simple life. He taught a little. He healed. He helped. And he was, what do we do? We killed him. We put him to death. What kind of a God would do that? One that is crazy about you and willing to do anything to give you hope and a future. That's where I'm looking for my identity. You're looking in the right direction, Matt. We just going to need reminders. <laughs> exactly. That's why I love to talk to you. Yeah, same. Holding it up there for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. As a scientist. This is a second. <laughs> yeah. Any parting shot before we pray? I was actually, this is how things work if you want to um, shift over, but I, this has been on my mind so much. And I've been praying that, you know, like, show me this so I can feel this more because I kind of, you know, with all the stress in the last year and a half, I felt like I'm, I'm, I'm losing that. And why am I getting away from it? And then here you come with the topic. I didn't know that, you know, that's awesome. Uh, all right, let's pray. You got it. Lord, I thank you so much that you are God. Lord, I thank you that you are God and we are not. I thank you, God, that you have poured your glory into creation, that we literally experience wonder because that's how you made us. That's how you made the world. God, thank you that you hold the world in your hand, that you are sovereign, even though we think we're somehow beyond your sovereignty. Lord, I thank you that you have laid a claim on us and called us your own, that you love us. I thank you that you are love, that holiness is who you are. This, and it looks so good when we're so tired of the dirt of the world or trying to live in it like that. God, I thank you that you have created us as spiritual beings to be able to even relate to one another, let alone to you. And I thank you, God, that you've given us clues, that you've given us your revelation, your specific revelation of scripture. And I thank you, Lord, that you are not bound by the laws that you set up, but that you are consistent with them. And I thank you, God, that you enabled science and research to help so many people. And yet it still comes back to you. So we give you thanks. I thank you so much for this podcast and for all that you have in store for us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you like what you're hearing, join us at Patreon. You can talk to us personally there, get cool merchandise and exclusive video content and more. Just go to patreon.com and search for the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can get involved for as little as $1 a month. Thanks for listening to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. 
You can check out the show notes from this episode, get free resources, discover more about our work, and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show. Head over to drmartinfletcher.com.